seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Acts chapter 3 and verse 26, the last verse. Unto you first, God, having raised up his Son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Acts chapter 3 and verse 26. Jesus sent to bless. Just a couple of points as a way of introduction. Our text begins with the words unto you first. Peter is speaking to the Jews. He's speaking unto the nation that our Lord came through and to whom our Lord first sent the apostles to not preach in any city of the Gentiles but to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it was so that for the first ten years or so following Pentecost that it was to the Jews that the word was preached even in other lands. But then there was the appearance in the house of Cornelius of the Holy Spirit upon Peter's preaching and the power attending the word there, a second Pentecost for the Gentiles. So we have the order, the Jews blessed first, and then the Gentiles were to be blessed. Our Lord speaks of this in John 10, where he says, Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And he is speaking of the Gentiles. We have the prophecies that there shall be those waters flowing out of Jerusalem, half toward the former sea, half toward the hinder sea, half toward the Gentiles, half towards the, uh, the Jews. We have this emphasized in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, ye who sometime were far, were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. They were alienated from the life of God. The ceremonial law excluded other nations. It was sent to the Jews only. And this is very clearly seen through the scriptures. Paul says that the going of the Apostles from the Jews to the Gentiles, the casting out of them, what shall, and then the grafting in of the Gentiles, but there shall come a time when the Jews are grafted back in and brought in again. What a blessed time that that will be, and we believe that that still is to happen. But here at this time, uh, the apostles have this word to their own countrymen 
having charged upon them the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, and he says that unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus. But then we have secondly, coming out from this, that God is a God of order. He does first things first. He doesn't put the cart before the horse. He doesn't put things in the wrong order. And how we're reminded of that right the way through Scripture. We find it with the order of creation. In the beginning, God. The Scriptures, they put God first. But when creation is done, it's in a beautiful order. He creates the places first. He creates the heavens. And then he creates the seas and the air. And then he creates the earth. That's the first three days. And then he goes back and he populates those areas and he puts the sun, the moon and the stars in the heavens and he puts the fishes in the sea and the birds in the air and the land animals on the land and then man. And he prepares Eden first. It's not like someone that buys a house and then they move in and they decide they're going to renovate it or completely strip it and work it while they're in it. It's all done first. And then man is put in a finished garden. And this order very clearly seen in creation. We have it in, in marriage. The order, a man should leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they two twain shall be one flesh. And then there shall be added the children into that marriage. A man puts it the other way around. He gets the children first and then sometimes he adds the marriage afterwards, completely destroying God's order. But God is a God of order. And in the church of God, the apostle writes to the churches that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the church of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. And he sets them before them, their pastors, their elders, their deacons, the church order, the ordinance of baptism, the ordinance of, uh, of believers' baptism, and the Lord's Supper. All of those things are set in order in the church of God. And Paul says, when I come, then he'll deal with other matters as well. We think in history... You've only got to read the first chapter in Matthew and we see a beautiful order of 14 generations from Abraham to David and from David to the carrying away into Babylon and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ, 14 generations. A perfect order in a history that you could look at the individual parts of it in Kings and in uh, the chronicles, and you think how it often hang on a on a thread and on a whim, uh, and the seed was almost extinguished several times, and yet the Lord was in complete control in history, and He still is. The history of this world is under the Lord's unfolding. 
His, it is his hand that unfolds the book. Providence unfolds the book and makes his counsels shine. It's also so in conversion. We do not think to lay down lines and say God must work in a certain way in conversion. But God does have an order in what he does with each individual of his people. Sometimes in the word of God that order is shown forth. We think of the apostle saying that the law was a schoolmaster under Christ. I was shut up under the law first and then delivered from the law and the condemnation of the law through the Lord Jesus Christ. By the law is the knowledge of sin and it is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin that all the world might be brought in guilty before God is the reason why the law was given. Not to provide a way that we can get a righteousness or pay our own debt, but to convince us of our sin and need of a Saviour, a need of mercy. And in our conversion there is an order in the teaching of the people of God. He teaches them in order. Those of you that are teachers here, or those of us that can remember when we were at school or further studies, there was a syllabus, there was an order, we were taught certain things first, and then after we'd learned those, then we added to that, and the Lord said, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. We have that in Isaiah He taught them line upon line, here a little, there a little. This is the the way that the Lord works. Uh, We often want to go ahead of the Lord and want to know more things, but the Lord says, no, there is an order. You must tarry longer in this mount, as it were, or learn these lessons, and, and then there is a proceeding further. And these are the marks of our God. It's a good thing for us if we observe providence, if we watch God's order, what he does. And the children of Israel were in Egypt. He didn't work with the Passover lamb first. That was reserved to the last for good reason. And the Lord brought all of those Signs, all of those wonders, not all muddled up, but one after another, all in order. Not in any hurry, not in any rush, the Lord in control. And may we notice that in our lives. May we watch what he does. The Lord is not worried that his plans are not working out, or that some man is frustrating them, or some relative is interfering, or that someone uh, is, is upsetting his plan and undermining it. No, everything is in perfect order. None can say unto him, what doest thou? None can stay his hand. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So many notices when we have a text like this unto you first. 
And we think that there is many other scriptures that speaks of this order. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I want to look then with the Lord's help this evening at three points. Firstly, the foundation of all blessing. Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus. There is a foundation to all blessing. Then secondly, Jesus is sent to bless. Raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. Jesus is sent to bless. And the third point, the blessing is described. Not just a vague statement that our Lord is sent to bless, but it's specific in in the point here, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. That is the blessing. Well, let us look then at the first point, the foundation of all blessing. All that the Lord does for a people that in themselves are under condemnation, they are guilty, they are under the sentence of death. All that he does for them is through mercy, through everlasting love, but also through the payment of a debt. God just doesn't say, don't worry about those sins. Don't worry about the, con- the condemnation due to them. I'll just put everything right from now on. He doesn't say to those who are locked up in the prisons, don't matter about your past life, I'm going to let you out. Well, forget about all the rest. You don't have to serve time. You can come off death row. When you start your lives anew, the Lord is a holy God, a just God, a righteous God. And the first thing he does when he intends to bless a people is he pays their debt. He sets them free from that debt. That is what the Lord did at Calvary. That is what he came to do upon the cross a redemption price a debt that they could not pay thine they were thou gavest them me and those people that were received were people that he would have to be a surety for when they couldn't pay he would pay all and that is certainly for us here because where there is a raising up of his son, there must also be the dying of his son, the death of his son, the crucifixion of his son. That comes first. Otherwise the raising up means nothing. How vital it is when, when we think of something like this, a raising up. You might say it's not in the text about him dying, about his blood, It is set forth beforehand 
very clearly in the uh, passage here, the men of Israel, uh, God has, verse 13, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof ye we are witnesses. And he says before them, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, someone might say, I'm healthy and strong, I've been wonderfully healed. And you say to them, what, what was your illness? What was wrong with you? And they might say, well, I'm, I thought I had cancer or something. But they weren't really ill. But someone who really knew they were ill, who really had all the symptoms and all the signs of it and all the evidences of it, when they're raised up and they say the same thing and they look the same as the other man, they still look healthy and they say that they've been healed and that, but they really have been healed. And they know they have. They know the difference. And so when you have the end result set forth like two people saying they believe but what goes before that believing what were you before were you like the Jews shut up in unbelief and then that joy and peace in believing those who are alive unto God were they once dead in trespasses and sins and had every evidence of that so here we have the debt paid in that which was done at Calvary, the precious blood that was shed. That is what puts away sin, that is what blots out sin, that is what appeases the wrath of God. The righteousness of our Lord is imputed to a believer to enable them to stand faultless before the throne of God. It does not cover their sins. It is the precious blood of Christ that covers sin, that blots it out, makes atonement for sin. But we need a righteousness to stand before God. And that is Christ's righteousness, to stand faultless before the throne. Some of our hymns, the lines of the hymn seem to indicate that it is the robe of righteousness that's covering sins of every name and every shame. But that is not true. The scriptures are very clear of that. The foundation of blessing then is the debt paid and a risen saviour. Having raised up his son Jesus. How the Jews together with the Romans tried everything they could to stop that fact being known. They did not want it known that the one that they had crucified had risen from the dead. They remembered that he said that he would. They took pains so that he couldn't first with putting the stone, sealing the stone, setting a watch. And then when he rose anyway, bribing the soldiers and telling them to 
and testified that his disciples came and took him away. Now really it's a message for us in the church, isn't it? When the devil, when the adversaries of our Lord take so much pains to stop it being known that Christ is risen from the dead, it should mean to us how much hangs upon that, how important it is, how vital it is. That's why they don't want it known. That's why they want it hushed up. God hath given, says Paul, assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, his first epistle, chapter 15, he deals with those that said there was no resurrection of the dead at all. And he said if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then are you still in your sins? And your faith is vain, our preaching is vain, and we are false witnesses because we have testified that God raised him from the dead. And he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men most miserable. And he's pointing to all the implications if there is not a resurrection of the dead, if Christ is not risen. How vital it is then that this is the secret of these blessings and this is why uh, he is setting this forth here before he speaks of blessing, having raised up his son Jesus. Our Lord said, I have power to lay down my life, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Life from the dead. And is not that what we need? Dead in Adam, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. What we need is life from the dead. And our life is bound up with Christ. Christ hath died, yea, rather risen again, and ascendeth at the right hand of the throne of God on high. So this is the seal of an accepted sacrifice of a fruit and effect of the power of God upon that payment being made. And Christ is spoken of as the first fruits from the dead. So this is the foundation for blessing. How do we use that? Do we not take it before the Lord in prayer? Plead it before the Lord in prayer? This is the foundation of blessing. This is the work of thy beloved Son. He died for sinners. He died under the load of his people's sin. Yet he was risen again and the sacrifice accepted. Cannot God now show mercy, give grace, give every blessing? Him writer says every blessing comes to us through Jesus' precious blood. And the Lord stays holy and just and righteous in all that he does. Our Lord was made a sacrifice for sin, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That was done, that was finished, it was accomplished. But now I want to look at our second point. 
that Jesus is sent to bless. Having obtained eternal salvation, having paid the debt, having risen again, there remains until the end of time a people that have the blessings and fruits of that salvation known in their lives. We may say that each one of them before God, even when they are born into this world, only known to God whom his elect are, their sins are already put away. They don't know it. They don't even know they're sinners. But their sins are put away. All at Calvary. But they come into the world as sinners. They go forth from the womb speaking lies. They go forth as enemies to God and at peace with hell. M76, at peace with hell, with God at war. In sin's dark maze they wander far. And those people who are dead in sins need to be quickened and need to be made alive. And it is God that will do that. I pass by thee when thou wast in thy blood, and when thou wast in thy blood I bid thee leave. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Ye must be born again, born of water and of the Spirit, quickened into spiritual life. And those that are quickened into spiritual life will first know and realise and feel that they are sinners. And not only that, that they do sin and will sin constantly. The Apostle Paul, when he was first convinced of his sin through thou shalt not cover, he said it wrought in me all manner of evil concupiscence. And he says the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And his feeling, his desire was to be delivered from the body of death, the sin that was working in his members. He says, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it than sin that dwelleth within me. But those sins, they cleave to us and we need to be delivered from them. Now here in our second point, Jesus is sent to bless. And he's sent to bless in quickening into life and then the blessing described here, turning away every one of you from his iniquities. But I want to look at this second point, just focusing on this work of God in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to bless. His sending to Calvary was for that purpose. When the angels uh, gave the message to the shepherds, it was on earth, uh, on earth peace, uh, goodwill toward men. It was to be a blessing, uh, a goodwill to sinners. The Lord said that I came not to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. That this is the condemnation. That life is coming to the world, but 
Men love darkness rather than light. But the sending forth of his Son was for blessing, not for condemnation. And we are to always remember that, where the Lord sends to bless. Jesus is sent to bless. Our Lord has a different message than the law. By the law shall no man living be justified. The law demands an absolute perfect obedience which we cannot give, which the Lord did himself. And I think one of the most beautiful illustrations is in the title of the Ark of the Covenant, where the broken tables, they were smashed at the bottom of Mount Sinai, that is what man broke the laws. But the perfect law, the tables unbroken, were put in the ark. That is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilling the law and making it honourable. And if you wonder why the law is so strict in so many points, the Old Testament, even those gathering sticks were stoned, is never is to be put in such a high standard because God is never going to use that standard to measure on a man to obtain salvation but he is going to meet that standard himself and to completely fulfil all that was required by the law. So the Lord coming is coming to bless. Now the Lord blesses through his servants, through his people. It was in the Old Testament too, the Lord sent his prophets. We think of even Jonah. Jonah was sent to the Ninevites, a nation, the Assyrians, that were enemies to Israel. And Jonah knew And we read in the fourth chapter of Jonah, this was my saying in my own country, therefore I fled. What did he, was he saying? I knew that there was a merciful God. He knew if he sent his servant to preach to that people, you say, but where was any gospel? In 40 days the city shall be destroyed. How is that a gospel? How is that good news? The Lord gave them 40 days. 40 days is a testing time, a proving time. 40 days the water on the earth. 40 days Mount Sinai. 40 years in the wilderness. 40 days the Lord from his rising to his ascension into heaven. 40 days the Lord's sufferings have been tempted in the wilderness. 40 days Goliath came defying Israel. It's always a testing time. But it's also a time that there is the opportunity or a possibility of being saved. Why did not God immediately strike Adam and Eve dead and finish the whole human race? Because there was to be blessing following. And the blessing rested in there being time, in there being years that fulfilled and generations being brought up. And so Jonah, he knew this. And surely the Lord then, he did give them repentance. They did turn away from their iniquities. Exactly what we have in our text here. God saw what they did. And he turned away his wrath. He destroyed them not. 
Jonah was displeased, he was angry, tried to get God to change his mind. But would he change his mind? No. That was his purpose, to bless. And God's purpose was to bless with Balaam. Balaam could not curse, the Lord was blessing. Jonah was sent. Philip was sent to go into the desert to the eunuch. What was the end result with the eunuch? To bless the eunuch. To bless him. Through Isaiah 53. Peter was sent for by Cornelius at the bidding of the angel. Peter at Joppa, the same place that Jonah was, that Jonah ran away when he was told to go to the Gentiles. But Peter was prepared, prepared by God, given the vision of the sheep let down from heaven. And so Peter goes. And the Holy Spirit falls when Peter preaches to Cornelius and his household and the Gentile church is then blessed. You think of the Apostle Paul. He tries to go to Asia, uh, forbidden there by Thinia, the Spirit suffered him not. Then a vision come over into Macedonia and help us. And he goes, assuredly, believing that God meant them to go and to preach the gospel there. What happened when he comes there? You might say, well, he had a trial, he was cast into prison, so he was. But his time there was blessed, and we have a beautiful epistle to the Philippians that Paul writes to that church that was formed in that place, where the Lord sends, a minister sends his people to preach the gospel, there is an expectation that the word will be blessed and we should pray for it and ask for it and look for it and not think, well, we, we just happen to have the gospel in this place and happens to be a chapel here and a church here and the preaching here. Do we rather say, Lord, thou hast maintained a candlestick here, thou hast maintained a ministry here. My soul needs blessing. I need this blessing. I wonder how many times we can feel that the Lord has sent a particular minister into this pulpit, into our pulpit, maybe a crab book or another, and that word has been to us. And the Lord has made him his messenger in his message and spoken to us and had this effect that it has been to, to bless us. All that happened, strange thing there, wasn't it? He's tarrying there, delayed there, waiting for his fellow companions. And while he's there, he's stirred up by the iniquities, the sin, the idolatry of the people there, the unknown, the altar to the unknown God, him whom you do ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. And we find Paul then is really being sent to them. It is to be a blessing to them. He that receiveth you, says our Lord, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. And so when the Lord blesses, our Lord is in heaven, but he says to his servants, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Lord Jesus is sent 
to bless. The preaching of the cross, the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ by his servants, the preaching of the word is to this end to bless the church of God. What is the blessing then? In our third point, the blessing is described. Now it's described in, you might say, several ways. The first is this, a turning away from sin. Or it says here, from his iniquities. Iniquities are aggravated sins. They're really sins against life, against knowledge. They're more than a sin. And certainly applies to the people of God that know that sin is sin and yet they still sin. And sin is a burden and sin is a trouble to them. But it applies to all the people of God. For God blesses, he doesn't mean that they stay in sin. Paul says in Romans 6, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? Notice the apostle here, the evidence of a blessing is by turning away from your sin. And this then is a great encouragement, a blessing to us to even realise it. The blessing isn't to condemn us for our sin, is not to say, look, I've died upon the cross, I've put away some sins, and now you've got to do something for the rest, or I've put away your sin, and now you have got to, by your efforts, you've got to control your own heart, your own thoughts, your own affections, your own actions, you must do that. But we read in 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, to turning us away from our sin, changing the heart, renewing the will, giving power over sin, giving strength, giving deliverance. This is the blessing that the Lord should have his people not continue in sin, but to walk in ways of holiness, ways of uprightness, ways of the law. New creatures in Christ Jesus, showing forth the praises of him, who hath called them out of nature's darkness into his marvellous light. He says to the woman who taken in adultery, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And I believe in this, that he gave her grace that she should not continue in that path of sin anymore. The Lord giving that strength and giving that power and giving that help. We will never be sinless this side of the grave. Sanctification, setting apart for a holy use of God's people and the washing and of water by the word is spoken of in Ephesians 5 is 
a sanctifying that is not perfect. It is God's work. But we are not made angels here. We are not made sinless here. We groan under a body of death. The Canaanite dwells in the land. And don't ever dream, don't ever think, if I'm a child of God, I'll never have a wrong thought, I'll never have a wrong desire, I'll never have my heart going after forbidden things and evil things. That will not be so. But we have a God to go to and we have one that blesses in this very particular something that should be a good message to poor sinners. Poor sinners that thought, well I thought that was my duty. I thought that was my effort. I thought that I had been so poor in this. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Through the Spirit. Through seeking the things of God. Through the Spirit's power. But may you be very clear of this blessing. Really put in very simple words. To bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. You think so is put in a different way in giving you a wonderful revelation like Paul had of the vision into the third heavens. Sent him to bless you so that you might be like Peter upon the mount of transfiguration and see Moses and Elias and no man but Jesus only. But you find Peter in his epistles saying, we have a more sure word of prophecy which unto you have well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. He's not pointing you to the Mount of Transfiguration. And Paul, he's not taking you to his vision. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. I have the glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. When I am weak, then I am I strong. That's where he's pointing to. Every conquest over sin, every deliverance, over the evil of the heart. Every, every time the old nature doesn't get its way, it doesn't get its way, is a blessing from the Lord. When he raises up a standard against the adversary, when he delivers from the temptations, God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will make a way of escape that you be able to bear it. This is the first way the blessing is described turning away. That's really repentance, isn't it? A change, a turning, a sorrow, a going from one thing to another thing. The other aspect of the blessing here that it applies to everyone saved. You say, isn't that a dangerous thing to say everyone that is saved has particular marks in them? Well, you go to Hebrews 12 and the Lord says that he chastises every son whom he receiveth. If ye be without chastisement, ye be bastards and not sons. So the Lord is saying in that very, very clearly that this is something that belongs to everyone of the children of God. And really what is set before us here, it sent him to bless you in turning away 
one of you from his iniquities? No. Every one of you. It applies to everyone. You can't get one of the child of God walking in open sin. So that doesn't apply to me. The Lord doesn't deal with me like that. He allows me just to do this. You say, no. It doesn't mean every man, woman and child in the world is turned away from their iniquities. They're not. But those that are blessed by the Lord are. And that is the mark of the blessing. There's another aspect of this blessing in this chapter. The chapter begins with a miracle of a man that was over 40 years of age that had been carried to the temple. He hadn't been able to walk ever right from his womb. Mother's womb. And then with this miracle he is not only walking but he's leaping and he's praising God. Something never any natural physician today could never accomplish something like that. Instantly. A miracle that so astounded and brought the people together that was the opening for the apostles to preach that this was done in the name of Jesus Christ. In verse, verse 6, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Took him by the right hand and immediately lifted him up. You might say, what could be a greater miracle, a greater blessing than that? Our text. Sent him to bless you, turning away. Don't ever think it is a, not a miracle that one that loves you, and we do, we love it by nature. We love it. It's in our nature. We go after it. To have one like that, to be turned away from it. You see a child that is bent on a particular toy or a particular thing that's a forbidden sin and you try to deliver them from it, try to turn them away from it. And the more you do, the more they scream and cry and hold on to it. But sometimes if you give them a counter attraction, something else, something nicer, and they'll drop that, and they'll turn away from it and go away from it. But you see how they cling to it, and we do that. We cling to our sins. And yet there's a contrasting miracle here. A miracle of grace, a miracle of a sinner turned away from his sin. Greater miracle than what was done with this man that was once slain. Now there's a last point I mention here. And that's the blessing of power joined to Christ's resurrection. Remember our text says, Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you from his iniquity. So we go back again to the joining of the resurrection of Christ to this blessing, to this blessing that's greater than the miracle that was wrought in the layman. And we compare that with Paul's epistle to the Ephesians chapter 1 
and verses 19 and 20. Because he says here that he wants them to understand and know the hope of his calling, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us Lord who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now it was to put all things under his feet, gave him to the head over all things to the church. And the church is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And what is set before us here is what is wrought in a believer is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You must never think that what is wrought in a believer, what is done in a sinner's heart and life, is a small thing, it's a great thing, it's a great conquest, it is a miracle, and it is a miracle that is the same power of God through the Holy Spirit, through the raising up of our Lord Jesus Christ, that works that work in a poor sinner. We need more than just a change of mind and a few resolutions. It's vital we have this power of God. That we pray for it, we ask for it, we look for it, and every fall and every realisation of the sin in our members makes us more and more so. If ever my poor soul be saved, his Christ must be the way. If ever I am delivered from sin, from the love of it, the power of it, the condemnation of it, must be the miracle of God's grace and mercy and power in my soul. So may we know, dear friends, may we know God as a God of order, know the foundation of the blessing, of all blessings is set before us here, and that Jesus is sent to bless, and the blessing is as described, turning away from sin. And there's one thing just to leave with you. May each one of us ask, has the Lord blessed us? Has the Lord blessed us in this way? May the word this evening have clarified in the heart and soul of one of his people that they have been and are the subject of a blessing for which the Lord has been sent for them and they have been partakers of that blessing. May the Lord seal that word and bear that witness to your soul. Amen.